IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon-Miller at Lizzled on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And guys, we have a really special episode for you. Um, normally we're talking about TV that is on the verge of becoming just a part of our lives. It's, on the, it's new, it's fresh, it's hip, it's now. Is that what we do? Sometimes. Yeah. When yeah, we're I... not talking about The Leftovers. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> I don't... Mm. All right, flag on that play, flag on that play. Uh, Sorry about that. You're in a timeout. I am not. Go sit in the other office. No, I have to finish recording. I have to, I have to start uh, doing this podcast. Well, maybe you should get off on a better foot, Elizabeth. <laughs> okay, Benjamin. Anyways, point is, we usually talk about the greatest television of all time. Including? <laughs> Leftovers. Primarily. 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 <laughs> I already said the leftovers. Yeah, I said including, and then we had to clarify because usually we are talking about the leftovers. So if we're going to say that our podcast is about fresh, relevant, current, oh trendy, great TV, then, I mean, <laughs> what else could we possibly be talking about? So we're, we're ta- usually talking about good TV. Very good great TV. Great TV. <laughs> Very good TV. Oh, I guess that's more on brand. Yes. Um, but right now, we're going to trip back to the past. We want to take some time, because right now, a very great show is returning the ripe old age of 10 years old. Oh, man. They're, yeah. like, not even old enough to do anything. No, but but but, but be a, a major part of our hearts, because, I mean, it's amazing to remember, looking back, at how 30 Rock really changed, really, I mean, really changed television in some significant ways just by setting this amazing example for what kind with relatively unleashed creative uh creative energy can do it was uh it was an inspirational show on a lot of different fronts not only to watch it as a fan where you'd kind of just get sucked into the addictive energy that was on display week in and week out but obviously as a creator as a writer there was just so much to admire within that show i mean throughout its seven seasons i know a lot of people give it a little bit of flack for maybe its final season or its last two I don't think 30 Rock ever really peaked. I always thought that it held up extremely well. It was always better than 90, if not all, of the other shows in competition with it year in and year out. Um, It's really something to behold, and it's something that I know, at least Liz and I, go back to again and again and again. Yes. um, Via, you know, its various streaming opportunities. Yeah, it's a show that is constantly, like, it rewards repeat viewing without on a level that other shows just don't. There was, like, my dad actually was rewatching it recently, and I just, I've been getting emails from him, like, it's just like, do you pick up on that joke? Like, uh, you know, and it's just, like, little tiny details that they include that you only catch after, like, maybe viewing number four or five, and it just makes the show so much richer. Especially when, you know, we're in a binge culture, and you're going to be watching it very quickly, and you're going to be watching it while you're doing other things because you've seen it before and you think you get it all. But when you sit down and you actually watch it or, you know, you just hear the right thing or you hear something that you didn't pick up on before, you know, you're going to be surprised. There's going to be those so many of those little moments that just become make the show richer and richer as it gets older. So to accompany this. So in order to properly celebrate it, we've decided to do what all great Internet journalists of our era do. We created a list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Great. I don't. Yeah. All right. Maybe I was being sarcastic there, Ben. Maybe. Who who knows? It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell sometimes. But the number one thing on our list that we want to note is 
Thirty Rock was one of the is one of the last great broadcast sitcoms. Absolutely, it was, uh, and it's important to use the word broadcast. It, yes, it's an important note that I think will probably be lost to time eventually. That Thirty Rock was on NBC and available to so many more homes and seen by so many more people than it would have been had it existed in today's day and age. Would I like to see 30 Rock on right now and get its commentary on the current situation in the world? Yes, of course, we all would. We'd love to have it you know, just continue because it was the best. But the time period in which it came out also was perfect for its distribution because, I mean, so many people got to see it. It was not a ratings monster. No. It did not do great you know, in terms it, of a weekly audience. But that weekly audience is so much bigger than, say, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmitz on Netflix from what we've been told by various sketchy-ish ratings people who claim to know what's going on in Netflix. Um, And and I think the only real explanation for that is because of the medium that it was broadcast on. And I can't be more thankful for NBC to for putting it up for as long as they did. And when we we're not saying the broadcast is dead or anything, but it's really important to note that have you seen this year's fall sitcoms? I mean, have uh, you? Okay. Point is, um, the reason I the reason I'm making, but the, what's really important to note about about Thirty Rock is that Thirty Rock. I mean, it barely survived its first season, and Tina Fey's. If if you've never read Tina Fey's Bossy Pants, um, it's an incredible read. It's such it's such an informative read, especially if you're a fan of the show, because she goes into such detail about its creation, and she literally talks about how. Um, Episode thirteen of season one, they were its nickname within the cast and crew was "Goodbye America." They thought they were going out on Paul Rubens uh, playing a, a deranged uh, Eastern Eastern prince, uh, European prince. It was a sketchy episode. It was a del- <laughs> yeah, but it is also full of its random delights. And they were like, I mean, it's like his, he has a little ceramic baby hand. Like it's such a weird episode. And it was on broadcast television, and then the show went on to for six more years, and then won Emmys and stuff. It's like there's a lot to love about this, and so and and they the fact that they were able to do that on broadcast television, and then a couple years later, um, Tina Fey can't get her new show on. Can't find the, NBC is no longer the right home for Tina Fey's new show. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt goes to it goes to Netflix, and that is the best move for that show and for everyone involved because of the way things have changed just in a very short period of time. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I, again, to say that to say that Thirty Rock, <laughs> Thirty Rock would not have gotten the ratings that it got even today. Like even those small ratings, it would not get those today if it was on the air now. Like no. it just it it wouldn't work like that. So the how it came about, when it came about, was pretty perfect for in terms of exposure and appreciation and frankly i mean i'm just happy we got so many episodes i mean most of the seasons are 20 plus yeah so thank you that's (laughs) that's a huge win for as hard as they had to work on that that's a huge win for us yeah exactly the uh next thing on our list of things that uh, things is uh the fact that the show really went all out and creating its own pop music soundtrack. Like, I still get Muffin Top stuff in my head sometimes. Um, oh, anytime I hear it. Yeah. Anytime. 
Even and now, it, it's probably going to be stuck in there for a couple days. Yeah, and it's there's really it's really important to note that uh, Tina Fey's husband Jeff Richmond uh, was the composer on the show, and actually makes a few on camera appearances as uh, Jenna's uh, cabaret cabaret pianist, which is a detail I'd forgotten until my most recent binge watch. There you go. Um, it, never, never you you got to go back to the holy texts, guys. You got to reconsult them and find new meaning in their work in their words or random cameos from actors' husbands. Um, but the important point is that music is so ingrained with that show, and there's so many layers and nuances to it in terms of, like, even just, like, basic scoring. Oh, yeah, the rhythm of it was incredible. I yeah. Mean, just kind of the, the that very subtle support line that was in there from time to time really held it together and, and kind of helped create that that just this side of alternate reality like just this side of it's not quite real but we're we're real like this is still happening in the universe we exist in yes uh, you that's that soundtrack would not work on togetherness no 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 not quite no it was uh, it was very distinct and it was uh, beautifully done I love what you said about how it, it giving the show a rhythm like because it, it is a show that you know has such a distinct rhythm to it and and you can tell because Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is similar in some respects, but not in all. Like it, it is trying to find it. It's like hearing, you know, a different. It's hearing a different kind of a different. Your favorite musician play a different genre. Yeah. Like you can tell it's you can tell it's still Springsteen, but I don't know if Springsteen's ever switched genres. Springsteen switches genres all the time. Okay, and actually, he did a wonderful job with it on the Seeger Sessions, which is makes it kind of a tricky example. But we get what you're saying, Liz, and I completely agree. And I will point out that in terms of that score, I mean, there's so many moments where you don't really think about it, but it's just in the transition between scenes where instead of just you know that that you know Seinfeld blurpy music that comes up when, <laughs> when <laughs> yeah that comes up when you're like seeing the apartment. It actually accentuates the 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 point that they're making. It it hits the spot on the joke, and then it helps you transition over into the next joke. So like from scene to scene, and how fast the jokes move, like the music really does help get you there. So um, yeah, we should move on. Uh, otherwise, yeah. this is going to be an hour and a half long podcast. I just keep. I mean, it's Thirty Rock. We yeah. just can't help. We ourselves. could, as you can tell, we might we might like this show a little bit. Um, another thing to highlight is. And it's something that you really come to appreciate in binge viewing over the course in binge viewing is the the way in which even like the most stock background characters ended up getting real dimension and narrative. And the best example, of course, is Grizzin.com, who in the first season start off as just very like clearly like the call sheet was clearly the casting notice was two very large black gentlemen to play Casey Tracy Jordan's entourage. And I don't see why they have to be black, Liz. <laughs> sure, Ben. Sure, Ben. Anyway, yeah, they, they, that was... Uh, honestly, I think we should probably talk a little bit about... Um, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm blanking on her name. Um, the SNL... Oh, God. The SNL... Her SNL... Like... Oh, God. What's her name? She played the janitor, and she played the like the little blue person that oh, Jenna goodness. imagined. Uh, um, oh, she's got shoot. a show on right now. Jeez, Louise, Rachel Dratch. Rachel Dratch. God, wow, I love Rachel Dratch. And we like love. The, she's the one. Actually, I think honestly, one of the funniest women on the planet right now. Absolutely, and and I, I'm so embarrassed that I couldn't remember her name. But the way she was incorporated early on, where she was playing so many different people almost so quickly, where it was like a character based thing, and she'd just keep popping in to like fill in different spots. Frankly, that worked for me really well. I thought it was really good. Like, even when she played, um, uh, not Martha Stewart, 
she played uh, Barbara, Barbara, Barbara Walters. Walters. Oh. Uh, I mean, it was great. Like, just seeing her kind of pop up like that and letting her kind of just stretch to these various extremes was very entertaining for me. She disappeared for a little bit, and then she comes back in, like, the live episodes, which right. were very exciting. Um, but, yeah, no, like, it's like even the janitor is another good example of kind of one of those characters that just kind of kept resurfacing um, to a delightful degree where you just you didn't need to know any backstory about her. But when she came up, it was like, oh, man, this is great. Yeah. Rachel Dratch is back. Well, Rachel Dratch isn't necessarily my favorite example because I love her. She's amazing. But, of course, the reason – whenever she appears in the first season, I feel really sad because one of the things that changed from the original version of the 30 Rock, the original 30 Rock pilot to what actually got aired, which is not one of America's greatest pilots of all time. It's a little wobbly, um, to be sure. But the biggest thing is that Rachel Dratch was originally set to play Jenna, and they went with a different type for the reshoots. And I've actually seen once or twice, I've seen like footage from when Rachel Dratch was playing the Jenna character has emerged, and it's very different. And not, it doesn't feel quite right, which is understandable given how Jenna really has come, really comes into her own as a well-defined voice. But it's basically when Rachel Dratch was recast, uh, the guest spots were written in, I think, basically kind of as a apology. I don't know. Or just Tina Fey really wanted to keep using Rachel Dratch. I don't know exactly what the backstory is on that. But I just know that whenever I see Rachel Dratch, I'm like, oh, it's really sad that she didn't get to actually star in this show that was written originally for her. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a shame. And it's it's kind of one of those things where... To me, it, it is what it is, and and like we talked about before with the broadcast standards, even at the time, if any other thing was going against that show, it would have been one and done, and we might have we might not have gotten what we did. Um, and for me, being able to see her in these different characters was really rewarding from her because of her Saturday Night Live background, and seeing that kind of put into a more real context in Thirty Rock, I can really appreciate that. And kind of again, when you're binging it, when I'm in the middle of it. I'm usually not taken outside of 30 Rock. Like, the backstory is incredible, and everything you're bringing up in terms of, like, trivia is, is it's so great to know, especially after you've already watched it about 30 times. Um, but for me, it, it doesn't really come into play when I'm in the middle of it. Like, it's just so rewarding to see her there, and she adds so much to those characters and to those moments where... I really enjoy it. And, you know, we've somehow, sorry, I, we got way off from Grizz.com, who kind of yeah. deserve their own moment. But yeah, because they, they like, the fact that they really did become their own characters, they become, they they have all these wonderful little side plots, like, um, you know, even just, like, quick flashes of, like, that, like, the fact that they're going to therapy, they have relationships. I think it's Grizz who gets married. Um, God, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and even though .com is in love with his fiance, it's very awkward. Um, like all that stuff. Like this is the sort of stuff that you get when you let a show develop over seven years. Um, and I do, I do want to go back to what you said though about how you don't really think about the context of the show in relation to that. Because I think one of the brilliant things about Thirty Rock and something honestly that is a little sad that's that might be lost by future viewers is the fact that. It was a show that wasn't afraid to kind of be self-conscious and self-referential and talk, acknowledge a and acknowledge outside forces, acknowledge the world watching it as a show. Um, you know, remember remember the Konami episode, mm-hmm. which tackled which I think I think it aired the season after the Letterman the the, the Leno Conan uh, kerfuffle occurred. 
but it it's a pretty interesting take on what actually happened between uh, between Conan O'Brien and Jay Leno trading off the Tonight Show. Oh, absolutely, and I th- I mean even so far as when they had to use uh, product, uh, oh God. product integration, product placement, yeah. yeah. Within the show with their constant Snapple references and kind of just looking at the screen and saying, can I have my money now? Yeah. Um, to me, like all of that worked really, really well, but it was it was a way of inviting the viewer into that discussion. So within the universe of 30 Rock, again, this kind of funky alternate reality that exists unto itself and at the same time exists in the real world. They're able to comment about the Conan Leno debacle. They're able to like create a storyline about that that the people can really appreciate and see the parallels to and, and kind of have fun with in the moment. But they're inviting that outside comparison in as opposed to, like, with Rachel Dratch. There was no such element of that for me. Like they that, didn't acknowledge that. That's not something that they wanted to call out in those moments. They were very selective about what they wanted to talk about, and that was part of the strength of the show. Um, and like you said, like, it, it really did that well. Like, I mean, in terms of – even in terms of using TGS – to parallel what's going on with 30 Rock and, you know, um, making fun of their popularity, making fun of their ratings, making fun of, like, all these different things that they could or couldn't do, or to just illustrate, you know, various points that were already, that were brought up about them, that were brought up about 30 Rock from the outside, and you could kind of pick and choose whether or not you were going to just apply it to what was going on within the show, or if you wanted to, you know, go think PC on it and kind of take it outside the box and see what Tina Fey may have been thinking about that spawned this idea. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some episodes that I feel like really require annotation, like uh, TGS hates women, which was an episode that kind oh, that's of exactly what I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah di- directly it directly um, it directly looks at the criticism that Thirty Rock had faced uh, from blogs like Jezebel and so forth. I forget what the fake Jezebel is called in uh, on the show, but it's pretty funny. Yeah, and it's and it's and it, but and see with that one too, I think it is such. An incredibly well-written episode that even within the context of the show, it creates and establishes its own argument. Like right. you can you can watch that show, get Tina Fey's position out of it, and still only see it from the self-contained Thirty Rock universe that's that's there. Like you don't have to pull it and be like, oh my god, she's talking about this. She's talking about Thirty Rock. She's not just talking about TGS. The argument is so fully formed within the episode that it just works. Um, Which is again strength to Tina Fey. Like it's yeah. it's. I'm always pretty impressed with how the positioning of that works within her shows. I'm gonna make that the new number four rather than what we have right down right now, which is just acknowledging how great the live episodes were. Oh great. Yeah. So because I think that I think that's a stronger point. And I'm gonna move us also on to number five, which is that. Wait, hold on. Are we not talking about the live episodes anymore? We could just say just talk about them briefly. Can I briefly just say? Julie Louis Dreyfus as Liz Lemon in flashbacks. It was wonderful. Love it. Her past self has fun, has a uh, Seinfeld money. <laughs> um, so good. So good. Uh, um, and yeah. also banjo. Or wait, was that banjo? Uh, when John Hamm came on and they were doing the flashback to the oh racist, yes uh, the racist oh yeah that was the sec- that was show. His, that was the second I think uh, that was fla- the second live that, the second show, live right? episode because the yeah. first one is like um, the first one is a. The first first one is Liz Levin's birthday, and then the second one is Liz and Jack want to make the show live all the time. Yeah, and Tracy's breaking. Oh no, they want to they want to pre-tape the show all the time, and uh, kind of tells them the story of why the live oh, tele- yeah. live television is amazing. Yeah. 
which sorry wow god that got mixed up but, but that's, no, yeah, the, that's, the, that's sort of culture bending that happens with 30 rock the john ham blackface with tracy oh, morgan sitting across from at that table is i i i know it may not be politically correct to endorse this sort of thing but God bless him. I thought it was hysterical. Well, I mean, and it, it, no, it acknowledges so how offensive black. Well, exactly. Is. But you yeah. know, there's people who say that even that isn't okay. And to yeah. me, it's like, well, they're, I mean, the people making the decisions are white, so maybe that is a problem. But moving on well, still but, gets me every time. Yes. I mean, but it also takes us to point five, which is thank you, Tina Fey, for revealing the comedic gift that is John Hamm. Yeah. Um, John Hamm. I mean, it's really like the way in which that, the way in which Dr. Drew, Dr. Drew Baird gets transformed in the Baird. third season. Baird? Baird. Um, it's, I just like saying it. Yeah. It's, you didn't say it wrong. Okay, thank I you. I just like saying it. Um, and the way he, that character gets introduced and then transformed and then his later reappearances, it's all really wonderful. And it came just at the time when John Hamm was starting, I think he was picking up a little comedic work, but not like a ton of big splashy roles while at the same time being super notable as Don Draper and, like, you know, at, at that point probably actually definable as iconic. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then... That was three years into Mad Men's run, I think? It was three years in... Did Mad Men and uh, 30 Rock start at the same year? God, now it's... Now I gotta look it up. Yeah, I think it might be it might be season two. Well, no, they did. 2007. They did? Yeah. Huh. Well, um, in that case, what's worth noting also... It, I'm uh, also 30 Rock's 2006. Sorry. Okay. So it was a, it was year three for Thirty Rock, year two for Mad Men, but that actually sounds about right. Um, and more importantly, and so John Hamm has of course done a huge number of amazing comedic parts, and in in the years since, and that's been so delightful. But it was Thirty Rock, I think, that really gave him his first big mainstream push in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean it. His first episode was in 2009, and that was well before he really did any of his other big kind of side parts. I think one of the bigger things that people saw him in was Bridesmaids right. in, that, in that preposterous role. But again, I don't even know if he'd get that without being on 30 Rock first. Probably not. I mean, imagine Kristen Wiig and Tina Fey have each other's cell phone numbers. They could talk, so. They'd yeah. talk about this stuff. And it's uh, also important to note that these roles were very important for Ham. Like he's said, you know, towards those last years of Mad Men, how difficult it was to inhabit Don Draper for so long, and he needed that break comedically like he needed to be able to step out and play this other role and then it also obviously allowed him to show his range as an actor while he was still getting accolades for one of the best shows ever made um so when that show ended he had options and he could go out and do a lot of different things which so really i mean it was a it was a blessing for everyone involved right and uh side sidebar as well to say we love you matt damon oh god yeah of course oh so good uh, what was his what was his, he was the pilot what was his carol name? burnett carol burnett yeah that's what Wonderful. Um, moving on, uh, really quickly, this this one we're gonna we've called it the Frager bullet. Well, largely because uh, the Frager Frager a uh, uh, point largely for our dear own Steve, Steve Green. And again, uh, Liz is not saying that incorrectly. We are not talking about Frager, even though we are talking about Frager. But Frager, Frager, the long con. Well. No, it was a short con. It was a short con. It was a short it, con. It took a while, but yeah, it was a short con. No, they called it a short con. I but, know they did. When, Kelsey, I, when Kelsey Grammer guest starred on things. 30 Rock, um, Kelsey Grammer did so uh, in part part of the the Carvel long short con, uh, cake cake caper. Good lord, that was not something I expected. It's a to tongue say. twister. It's a tongue twister. Um, but there's this bit where he just says, "That cake should say Frager reunion," and I should know I'm Frager. 
And then, of course, that's incorrect, and it's very sad. But yes, the way the, the show the show really loved digging into like real pop culture references. But I'm also going to segue this to the following point, which is the show also loved creating its own pop culture. And I remember I was there was that recent Twitter meme like seven favorite TV shows, and I ended up just replying to it with all 30 Rock shows, and it made me so happy to go back through all there. Were, I was like. There were more than seven that I could have included on my list, um, but there was, you know, there's God Cop, uh, the fake, the fake uh, NBC drama that Jack creates. There's when he's know, trying to tank NBC. When he's trying to take NBC, there's of course widely acclaimed Milf Island, um, and that which was a, a brilliant Survivor parody of reality TV. Um, and then there's of course, you know. Oh god! Well, there was a whole bunch like bitch hunter, bitch hunter. Bitch hunter. <laughs> I, was, I thought you were literally saving that like in your holster just for the third one. Like you know, one joke, two joke, joke. third joke. Bam! Bitch but, hunter. Yeah. No. What? What is Will, Will Ferrell f- just kicking in the door? <laughs> oh god. <sighs> yeah. No. And honestly, to kind of go along with that point, how brutally they mocked NBC. And NBC was. I, I, I feel they like they, it at least. they allowed it at if least. If they didn't encourage it or if they didn't support it in some way, they at least allowed it, which was more than enough and, and more than a lot of networks would have done. And frankly, it it dogged them for a while. Like, yeah. I mean, there were there were plenty of times toward the end of 30 Rock or even after 30 Rock ended when NBC released new pilots or previews or trailers or titles or anything. And you looked at it and you were just like, is that, a re- is that real or is that a 30 Rock joke? Like, that yeah. seems like something 30 Rock would have made up. Yeah, um, I have to. I have to. I have to shout out like probably one of the roughest jokes in terms of in terms of television that got made on that show was uh, uh, Jack Donaghy's pie chart about ideas for success for NBC. Oh, or no, no, it's, it's 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 things things he is focusing his attention on. Yeah. And one of the biggest pie slices in that pie chart is make it 1996 again through <laughs> through magic. Yeah, through magic or time travel or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh God, it's so good. Oh, God. Um. And also, I also really love the Leap Day episode just because oh, yeah, it's... Leap Day Williams. Leap Day Williams. Frankly, the, the, the astonishing thing for me about Leap Day Williams is that, you know, it's, it's Jim Carrey, and that's great. So he's yeah. a great get. It could have been anybody. Like, it didn't matter. Yeah. Like, it was, the, it was the Leap Day joke and the Leap Day character and the Leap Day, you know, the, the attachments like, that go along with this fictional Leap Day that now has become real. Not Leap Day itself, but right. the, the holiday. Right. Um, I can't. I can't speak. Well, the detail enough. that TBS reruns Leap Day, yeah. well, the movie Re- Leap Day Williams, every all day long for twenty four hours is such a perfect. It ties it so perfectly to the fact that I think TBS does actually rerun Groundhog Day every Groundhog Day. For- they rerun a Christmas story every Christmas. Yeah, so it's 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 a really beautiful like little meta joke. And it was a great. It was a great punctuation point on again like mocking something that exists or at least at least questioning it at least just saying you know what what the it's groundhog day what the fuck are we doing here yeah um moving on uh something that the show really beautifully captured or really beautifully like wove in in later seasons seven we're on point eight point eight point eight is People were asking like, what TV once what TV what TV spinoffs would you like to see, starring you know favorite characters in different genres? And my answer was, I want to see the supernatural drama that Kenneth the Page is in, because just like the weirdness of that storyline and the way it, it it kind of wrapped up in the finale, it it was so perfect in just how off the wall and random it was. 
Yeah, I mean, Kenneth, it's almost like the only way you can justify Kenneth is by making him into some sort of magic, godlike sorcerer. I mean, he's he's so exuberant. He's so positive. He's so enamored with uh, NBC. And yeah. not even for, like, the Sorkinese reasons of, you know, they've got the airwaves and the airwaves are precious and they're disseminating information. Like, he loves the TV. He loves the entertainment value of TV. And he, he's addicted to it in a way. But in a noble, honorable profession that he defends throughout the course of the show and, frankly, you know, goes so far, even within this, as we've said, weird kind of 30 Rock-specific reality, uh, it's it would have been hard to believe and or at least take him seriously, or at least you know even see him as a as a part of this group that existed, uh, without kind of that extra notion of him being a little bit different, like a little bit all seeing, all powerful, all knowing, like yeah. you know, bigger than a human. And if you want to admire the show for its brilliance and you know forethought, let us note that in season one in the poker episode. Um, Jack at uh, Jack at one point says of Kenneth, "In five years, we'll either be working for him or dead by his hand." Mm-hmm. Timeline doesn't totally match up, mm-hmm. but it actually kind of works out. Yeah, that's pretty good for Jack Dougie. I mean, pretty good. Speaking of him, he's uh, point number. Uh, this, there's so many wonderful characters on this show, but there are two, of course, we want to highlight. And that number nine on our list is the complicated conservatism of Jack Donaghy. Yeah, we. Re- I mean, we really. We could have spent a whole podcast talking about Jack Donaghy or obviously our 10th choice, Liz Lemon. I could I could spend an entire podcast talking about Dennis Duffy. <laughs> Dennis Duffy. Actually, Dennis, Duff, Dennis Duffy should really have been a point on this list because hey, Dennis makes- Duffy is magic. I mean, Dennis Duffy had so many great lines. What was the Argo line in the – it might might have been like the second to last episode when Liz got married where, he, where they, they said a word that sounded like Argo and he said – yeah, Ben Affleck's gonna get his Oscar this year or something like that, and it just it just slayed me. Like he's, and I mean that's that's not even like a top ten line. That's no. just a that's just one of the more recent. Oh ones. my god. Oh my god, Dennis Duffy. Yeah, um, but no, Jack Donaghy and his. I've got a, I've got a Dennis Duffy highlight really right, quick. Let's do um, it. Really quickly, uh, he hears he hear, he listens to a message on Liz's machine when he thinks that she's pregnant. He's like, I know that. I know that tone. All my sisters got that. Got that message their junior year of high school. Yep. yep. And when he wanted to name the baby Morpheus. <laughs> Morpheus. No. Uh, oh, we should have just. We should have just replaced our podcast with. I don't know, like Dennis random, du- with, uh, our, cl- with our favorite clips from Dennis Duffy. We would have uh, done a nice introduction yes. of the great Dennis Duffy, and then we would have just played a thirty-minute clip of of his best moments. And, uh, I mean, honestly, that would have done the job much better than we've done so far. I mean, yeah. Liz, you've been doing magic. I've just been blabbering. We've been doing fine. But talk a little bit about Jack Donaghy and his complicated conservatism. Well, the best thing about Jack Donaghy is that when you're watching the show, he obviously is he's, he's a foil in, in a lot of regards to Liz Lemon's character. And he's got that... He's got that political spectrum on him where he is a conservative and he is a very proud Republican and he is somebody who, you know, he talks about Reaganing because, you know, Reagan was the greatest man. Yeah, he's the greatest man in existence. If you're doing something perfect, then you're going to be doing what Ronald Reagan did. And you can tell that he believes it to a certain regard. But then at the same time, when they sneak in those those little quips about how he secretly voted for uh, Obama or, or, you know, like just those little 
bit doses of liberalism that sneak into the show, you kind of get a more fully realized version of who this man is beyond what he's presenting. And that was always the really fun part of Jack Donaghy anyway. Like, you loved the confident, I get my hair cut every two days, Jack Donaghy. Your hair, um, your head, your hair is your head suit. Who, 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 won't, who wears a tuxedo because it's after 5 p.m. You love, he's not a farmer. You love that kind of Jack Donaghy, but you also love the Jack Donaghy who gets really, really drunk and wanders the streets with, uh, with a... <laughs> <laughs> with a brown bag full of like Colt 45 and then ends up at a supermarket convenience store and just is, is pulling aside the uh, the prostitute that he knocks down on uh, Lens Lemon's door with. I, you, you love all sides of Jack Donaghy. Yeah. And his conservatism kind of defined the rest of it. It kind of allowed the jokes to play better because you knew what he saw. He, you knew what he thought he needed to be as a businessman, and you knew that he was rebelling against that despite Liz Lemon's kind of uh, persistence and his addiction to what she was doing and his support of her and, and pretty much everything she believed in. Um, and it, it made it all so much better. I mean, in general, I think what was really beautiful about the show is the, as it evolved and it, from, from its initial construction from, to how it evolved is that it was such a show of contrast, but the big thing about it was everyone in the end, at the end of the day, still liked each other. Like, yeah. and you know, I think, and I, I wanted to bring this up when we were talking about Rachel Dratch and getting replaced with a Jan- who was Jan- a prostitute, by the way. Of that I course, was talking about. Um, uh, when Jane Krakowski ended up bringing a very different energy to the character of Jenna, and I think honestly. Jenna and Liz wouldn't have worked as well as a pairing, and Jenna, as, as many other characters, wouldn't have worked as well if it had remained Rachel Dratch. Like, I think you needed to go a very specific type with that character, and the recasting, while very sad, um, because Rachel Dratch and Tina Fey are, of course, dear, long, long, long-standing friends, I think that contrast made the show better. Yeah, and I, I'd say that Tracy Morgan, just as influential and important with, oh, of his, course. with his just absurd... <laughs> <laughs> it's just absurd everything. I mean, every single thing he did, it fits so well because you could see Tracy Morgan both living in the character of Tracy Jordan and being the character of Tracy Jordan. Like, you could see the fine line that he was walking. You could admire the performance while at the same time kind of seeing through it as a performance. There was an embodiment there that, that is very unique to TV and the way that he, the way that he affected each and every character around him was astounding and I I don't think he gets enough I don't think Morgan gets enough credit yeah. for that role. It, it's really true and it's also it's such a fascinating problem like I may have worked once at a journalistic entity that got dinged for in its print edition referring to Tracy Morgan as Tracy Jordan and it happened probably how many times that happened. It, it's probably countless how many times that happened um, and certainly I know I've made the mistake, frankly. I, I, I will confess, I have had every time I write about Tracy Morgan, I double-checked for M versus J. It's probably going to be very confusing for future viewers, for people who binge it, and, you know, they'll see the the intro, and they'll they'll see the character name, and they might just be hearing it and then read it and think they're saying this or saying that, and they'll have to look it up and be like, oh, okay, I, get, I guess I get what they were doing here. Yeah. Uh, but moving on to our final point. Final point. And obviously, Pinnacle. Well, I mean, the thing about Liz Lemon is that she was always, the thing that really stood out about that show is that she was always vaguely good at her job. Like, the 
TGS was never a great, it was always clearly defined to be a not great TV show. But she always, like, managed to get the show made. They stayed on the air for many seasons. Uh, you know, it 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 was never, they, she, it, it always had modesty to it in some respects. Modesty is one word. I think that's the important thing to note, though, because in, when it came to TGS and it came to them talking about TGS, clearly everything that they said specifically about it was meant to convey that the show was bad. Right. But also because the show was at least partly <coughs> 30 Rock, partly Saturday Night Live, I always thought it was better than what they were saying, and I always took what they were saying as their modest humbled interpretation of what they'd written because right. they would never admit that what they're writing is that good just like Tina Fey never admits you know how great her acting is she always made fun of her acting and just about everything she does I, that was a very important point to it but right. continue but the point is she was you know she always managed to be a really great she managed to be a, a get the job done but the her love life was always very complicated, and so we I have this down as the complicated sexuality of Liz Lemon, because over the year, over the seven seasons, you there was she had like a number of boyfriends, including of course the Dennis Duffy, who may be my personal sentimental favorite, even though he is of course the worst. The worst. But it's fascinating, like because I think the thing the thing is first the sh- the first show in its first years was just like oh that poor Liz Lemon she can't she can't seem to land a man, and it played pretty heavily into those tropes, and then you know just bad luck with bad luck with dating just another another single gal on the town, and then it did something really special which was it introduced Chris Cross, um as played by James Marsden and really let them have a relationship and really like try to build it and she ended up getting to have like a real adult relationship and she got to have her fairy princess wedding because and you know everything and it and and things worked out for old Liz Lemon and it took a long time to get there she had to date a variety of fascinating people but you know they let her have that struggle and they let it also be like have like weird twists to the character like her she genuinely was weird about sex and like it came from a weird place and i don't know it was a fa- it's it's something i don't think we saw a lot of on television no before it, was, then. it was a very comedic but authentic interpretation of of kind of what it's like to be single past a certain age or what it's like to be this specific person at this certain time you know especially somebody who's who's living in the office so often and honestly what i always kind of really liked about crisscross about the about the end for Liz Lemon in, in the romantic regard was that for so long on the show Tina Fey mocked her own appearance she made herself look terrible she had the long she had the joke about the mustache mm-hmm. every opportunity she got to kind of make herself look frumpy or, or weird like she tried to do it and frankly it, it, you know it didn't really work that well because Tina Fey's gorgeous but that idea permeated so much of the first what five seasons of the show yeah that by the time she got her final person by the time she found the person she was gonna by the time the end game set in exactly the fact that she got somebody who is just flat out gorgeous like a perfect specimen of a human being the man who you know like i mean if it wasn't going to be john ham who they modeled prince charming after or whatever um you know it's going to be james marsden who is the prince in enchanted like the come to life prince from enchanted so pretty um it's kind of perfect in in 
what they want to say about TV because if if you know if if we're going to look at all these fat schlubby actual kind of loser guys getting these gorgeous model wives on CBS comedies for so long then you know let's let Liz Lemon get a friggin gorgeous man and and get even, it girl even better than that he was not he wasn't just a trophy wife because we know that Liz Lemon wouldn't have been attracted to that that wouldn't have worked out they gave him kind of perfect characteristics and depth to turn him into yes the perfect man for her but also a complicated and challenging enough relationship partner that it wasn't going to be just a simple easy road to walk down for both of them like it wasn't something they tanked on at the end he was a good character and he was good for her but he also worked outside of that context for what you really wanted to happen in this series oh god it's so good 30 Rock is so good, you guys. I hope that this podcast has made you want to go back and just rewatch the whole thing from top to bottom. You should do that. It'll be good for you. You'll enjoy it. And apologies if you've never listened, to, never watched 30 Rock before, because we just spoiled the crap out of it for you. There's no way they kept. There's no way they kept listening <laughs> I to this at the beginning. If they if they were like, well, God, you know what? I've never seen 30 Rock. I guess I'll just listen to this podcast instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just noting that. Yeah, if you did, I mean, just shame on you. Yeah, just come on. If you don't feel like rewatching 30 Rock from top to bottom, though, what's wrong with you? Maybe you just did it. Maybe you did it like a month ago and you're just like, I'm good for like another six months. I don't need to go back and revisit it for another six months. We do want to point out in, ter- in kind of the, tra- tra- the tradition of our best thing, next thing, the best thing that came before 30 Rock and then the next thing to watch after 30 Rock. Um, and Ben, what is our best thing? Our best thing pick in terms of, uh, like Liz said, but also to add maybe not inspired 30 rock but like if you i mean if you just finish 30 rock yeah you're gonna be good for this it's the larry sanders show yes um just a oh god what do you say about the larry sanders show it's a landmark hbo comedy when is it going to be available it is is available on hbo go and hbo now as of september 23rd 2016 okay great um and that's you know obviously very important to note because this is I, I assume that most people are going to be binging 30 Rock from here on out. Most yeah. people are watching it on Netflix. That's right. how 30 Rock exists now, much like how Friends exists is now on Netflix. Um, but no, like if you if you get through this, make sure you get back to Larry Sanders. It's it is a insightful, enriching uh, pop culture commentary that that works in a similar vein to the 30 Rock humor. Yeah, and I think... Is a good way to say it? I don't know how to... I don't really know how to define it. It's got that behind-the-scenes edge, uh, behind-the-scenes of a vibe that that you might be looking for. Um, It plays around as well with uh, persona and celebrity culture. Um, It features a number of actors playing themselves in... (sighs) David Duchovny. David Duchovny, yeah. Wasn't going to mention. Why would I mention David Duchovny, Ben? One of us was going to mention it, Liz. Yeah, you beat me to it. One of us. You beat me to it. Well... Yes, David Duchovny in particular is probably one of the top ten guest stars of that show. But there oh, were a lot top ten. But there were a lot of other uh, celebrities who had real fun spoofing their personas, and also the general cast of that show is unbelievable. Like, you got Janine Garofalo, you got um, you got Jeffrey Tambor, you got Jeffrey Tambor, yeah, you got Piven, Piven, God, yeah. I'd, I'd say that Larry Sanders is probably a little more meta than 30 Rock, or at least a different version of meta, because its alternate reality is not the same as, I mean, nothing's uh, the same as 30 Rock. Yeah, but our, it is more in our reality yeah, than 30 Larry's Rock Yeah, Larry skews much more towards the authentic Larry would never invent a holiday. No, well, no, not really. 
Uh, but no, Liz, let's talk a little bit about the, the next thing, because I'm actually kind of excited about this pick. You came up with this one. Uh, I think it's, I think these things are really important, actually, especially in today's day and age where once you end a binge, it's kind of sad, and you want something else. Like, even if it's just you need, your you need show. That sweet, you need that sweet, sweet high. Like, you're just watching it during lunch or something. You know, you only get a half-hour day. It's nice to have something reliable. And when you're done watching 30 Rock, it really does feel like nothing else is like 30 Rock. So what are you going to do? And you have to start something because we're addicts and we have problems and we don't have any other, you know, things to do with our lives. Um, <laughs> and you came up with. Party Down. Yes, Party Down. Now, I mean, Parks and Recreation is also kind of an obvious pick, as yeah. is Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. But we're calling, we're calling out Party Down because Party Down is a little more dramatic, a little more, a little more moody in terms of its execution. But it's such a well-executed sitcom, um, or it's sitcom comedy. It's not really a sitcom, but it's you know got a great cast: uh, Adam Scott, um, Adam Scott, Lizzie Kaplan. Uh, Ken Marino, I'm trying to do this. I I, I didn't prep properly for this. Uh, Martin Starr, yeah. um, Jane Lynch, Ryan Hansen. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Jennifer Marino, Coolidge fills in for uh, Jane Lynch at a certain yeah. point, which yeah. is great. And yeah, and, uh, Kristen Bell makes a bunch of appearances. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, in general, like that show had an amazing guest cast. Yeah, like, and they brought in a lot of good celebrities, kind of to fill in. They they work with a kind of an alternate reality in which it is real like you feel like you've been in these guys shoes especially if you've ever catered before or served before or lived in los angeles before um but they invent their own things like they invent their own movies and stories even when they're referencing oh, real yeah. movies and stories and it's kind of that inventive nature that's still grounded that kind of helps connect the dots yeah here. there's a there's an episode where jk simmons uh plays a movie producer and he's working what is the movie it's like it's like abraham lincoln, young abraham lincoln yeah for the vampire hunter thing whatever, yeah but, it, it, but well it's not meant to be abraham lincoln vampire hunter which it party down actually managed to accurately predict that the existence of that franchise franchise um franchise wannabe yeah i, I made air quotes when i said franchise just the second time but no i mean it's i think that's a great pick and, I th- and obviously it's a great show and, and you may have seen both these shows already because they're both very culty and popular just like 30 rock was and they kind of i feel like they attract the same audience in the same way um, but they're they're great for rewatching. They're great for for binging over and over again. And like Liz said, I mean, Parks and Recreation is a good choice as well. It doesn't really have kind of the same Hollywood feel, or it's not as heavy into the pop culture references as, as Thirty Rock is. Um, I honestly, I was tempted to go with something like You're the Worst for mm-hmm. that kind of side of things. Like if you watch oh, half of Parks and Recreation yeah. and then half of You're the Worst for its pop culture, L.A. life. Uh, inventive yet grounded kind of reality like you'd find a bit of a balance there you'd find a bit of you'd find things that you like in both stories even though they're different they're told in a different fashion you want a little yeah i don't know what you add for new york flavor but you know there's plenty of shows made in new york you'll find something um but yeah that so i hope you've appreciated this kind of tribute to 30 rock and all of its forms uh it's a show we miss dearly but we're so glad that we have the seven seasons that we have and that all the people who most of the people most if not all of the people who were involved with it have gone on to continue interesting fun work um, and you can read more about 30 Rock because we still write about it a fair amount even though it's been off the air for years at IndieWire.com where you can also find news, reviews, interviews, features. And make sure you listen to our sister podcasts including Screen Talk with Eric Cohen and Ann Thompson as well as a new podcast from our own Michael Schneider who's 
the name of which I keep forgetting. Turn it on. Turn it on. Turn it on uh, with Michael Schneider. It's actually got a few important guest stars as well and uh, revisits, or I should say visits, uh, the most current television airing right now. So yes. if you want to know what's happening this week or just happened or is something that you need to be aware of at the moment, Turn It On is the way to go. Yes. And you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. And you can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and an E. Correct. We will be back next week as always. And in the meantime, you guys, keep watching television.